The best analogy I can think of is it's a bit of a portal. So I used to spend a lot of time in Washington, D.C., Moscow, and Dubai, and I would do it enough that I started buying certain items of clothing three times so that I could just leave them in these various places and wouldn't have to keep dragging suitcases around. And I always wanted a magic portal in the back of my closet that I could just have one sweater and just open it wherever I was, wear it, put it back, and not have to keep doing this. And that is... You know, it's the simplest point, what the cloud promises. Data and services are available to users wherever they are, whichever devices they're using. What's up? Welcome to Same Same But Tech, a podcast where we explain the most talked about tech buzzwords, one analogy at a time. I'm Mohan, and today it's all about the cloud. What is the cloud? Or maybe we should ask, where is the cloud? It seems like it's everywhere. Seriously, all I hear about is the cloud. People at work, TechCrunch articles, the guys at the Apple store, all they want to talk about is the cloud. The cloud is like the most popular guy in my school. And I'm not jealous. It's totally fine. I mean, I actually sort of like clouds. The way they fluff, the way they float, the way they kiss the sky so effortlessly and elegantly. But the thing is, the cloud isn't a cloud, like, at all. It's called the cloud because years ago on some whiteboard, somebody drew a picture of a whole bunch of servers and said, and I don't even need to know how each one is used, and drew a cloud around it. Kind of funny, huh? The cloud icon was really just a symbol used in technical diagrams to depict a bundle of computers and computing power somewhere out in the world. Now, that's the back end of cloud systems. It's a network that communicates and shares resources, software, and information. The front end is what you see on your computer, your phone, or your two-way pager. You touch the cloud multiple times a day when you use a map service, when you use search. You've been using cloud for years. Exactly. We're cloud addicts. You leverage the cloud to visit web pages and to send emails. It's what holds on to your selfies and how Spotify plays your bad breakup playlist. All those applications are relying on the cloud. And you know what? You're even using the cloud right now. It's where we store episodes of your favorite podcasts, like Same Same. Clouds in the Sky can't do all that stuff. This episode of Same Same is about enormous storage facilities in the middle of nowhere, housing thousands of buzzing, beautiful supercomputers. All those computers hold your most precious and sometimes private information. This episode is about how cloud computing is one of the greatest enablers of innovation in our time. All in all, this episode is about things entirely not big and fluffy. You could think of the cloud like a rental car agency. People have different needs. The agency gives them the car they need for that purpose, and they do all the work on maintaining that car. That's Quentin Hardy. I'm the head of editorial at Google Cloud, which is the cloud computing division of Google, a well-known search engine. Uh, but 
What exactly is a head of editorial? <laughs> uh, for a number of years, I was in journalism. I worked at the Wall Street Journal. I worked at Forbes. I worked at the New York Times. And I was asked by people at Google Cloud to bring the ability to explain things and try to simplify complexity to Google Cloud and talk about cloud computing in a business context, in a social context, in a way that tries to simplify it for the general public because the general public is working with cloud computing every day whether they know it or not, and it's going to be an increasingly important part of their lives. Perfect. Just the guy we need. So where do we start? There's cloud a technology which we should understand, and then there's cloud a service or the companies involved in the service that people think about a lot. And the underlying technology is several computer servers put together, pooled, if you will, so that their capacity can be used to its maximum extent. And they are given a kind of smart, clever software interface so that you can reconfigure all the time and use that pooled computing to its maximum efficiency and complexity depending on what you need at the moment. Does that make sense? Cloud technology offers a bunch of computer power and storage over the internet at a fraction of the cost of building those components yourself. So when someone tells me, hey, my music is in the cloud, or if I send my photos to iCloud, what does that mean? That means that your photos, your music have been stored in a data center, probably in the United States, somewhere near you so you can access it quickly. And they are alongside or in a repository with many, many, many other such pieces of data. So he's saying that the cloud is not just this intangible thing up in the sky that holds onto my file somehow? Oh, my gosh. This, this is one of those – this is one moment where I really regret – the day they drew a cloud on the whiteboard because there is nothing more physical than cloud computing. Yeah, I know a certain number of Americans really do think that this is computational stuff drifting around in the atmosphere, and God bless them. I knew it. I told you guys the cloud isn't a cloud. We are to blame for giving them bad words. It is not a cloud. It, these are really physical objects. I have been to data centers in rural Virginia, in Oklahoma, in Iowa, in Oregon, and they're big. I, I went to one belonging to a global-level service provider. I counted 20 different buildings, and in each building were thousands and thousands of computers, all through software cooperating as this one entity. You know, this is, on a net basis, uh, in most of the public clouds, I think it's safe to say there are millions of servers and there are hundreds of thousands of miles of fiber optic cable. The amount of real estate, the number of ships sinking trans transatlantic fiber is just mind-blowing. And that makes sense, right? Imagine if you had to build the infrastructure to power all the services and all the applications that people and companies across the world are using. You'd need a lot of space. Okay, so that's the technology. The service is like a rental car agency, if you will. But when we think about cloud computing, we tend to think of 
large public companies like Amazon or Google or Microsoft, IBM, there are several, who have really a lot of data centers, thousands, millions of servers inside these data centers on a global basis. And they vend computing to third parties. As a bit more context, there are three different types of cloud computing services. First, we have software as a service, or SaaS. Think about Adobe products or things like Netflix. On the other hand, there is platform as a service, or PaaS, which is primarily used by engineers to develop their own software. Lastly, we have infrastructure as a service, which is what Quentin is talking about. Offerings like Google Cloud or Amazon AWS offer pay-as-you-go storage, networking, and computing power as a service over the internet. It's not only that the cloud holds onto your files, but it also offers you the software or the computing power to do different computery things whenever you need it. You know, why should I have to keep a car in St. Louis because I go there every now and then or Houston because I go every now and then, you know, I need a minivan in San Diego. You see where I'm going? It's like, why not just have car availability? And the same way a car rental agency can provide different types of cars, cloud computing companies offer different types of computing that's optimized for different types of projects. You need a Jeep type car. Then later, maybe you need a minivan then you need a sedan. It can become all of these things because you're given access to this rich amount of computing, this rich amount of software that you can configure to your needs. You might need a fast car today. Tomorrow you might need a minivan or a bigger van to take your friends out camping, and you can sort of swap and change the same way you would be able to swap at a rental agency. Mm -hmm. But in the cloud context... What are those different vehicles? Like, what are those different cars that you might need to get? Why don't I start with some of our customers without naming names? You know, a big social network that needs to store and ship a lot of photos would have different needs for resources of storage and individual user identification and managing communications. A manufacturer might want to look at how its machines are being used around the world and ship out new software to update those use cases. Uh, a publisher would want to know what ads to place where on different publications. They're all accessing the cloud. They're all addressing different needs, different using different software and different techniques that suit the needs of their industry. If you have these cars, why do you, you don't want to be the one worrying about filling up the gas tank, pumping the tires, fixing the engine. Why not have someone else that do that? Right. There you go. There are millions of companies around the world using computing, right? And these companies are good at fast food. They're good at media. They're good at manufacturing. Why should they all have to have IT staffs that are doing general business around raising and maintaining servers. That's not really adding a lot of value to what they tend to do to make profit. Listen to this. Quentin is leaning into what I think is the most important thing about cloud computing as a service. Why not offload a lot of that activity into large companies with very, very competent technical people good at security, good at management of large storage and computational events that have the funds to do 
new kinds of research and develop cutting-edge products so that the IT people, the information technology, the computing people inside these companies can go build new products particular to what that company is doing and build up their profitability, uh, get them closer to their customers. What Quentin is getting at is that the service of cloud computing enables companies, whether those companies are big media giants, small tech startups, or fast food restaurants, to focus on doing what they do best. For a real-world example, take ride-sharing apps. Think Uber or Lyft. They leverage the cloud to operate most of their back-end infrastructure, like payment, technology, mapping, so they can focus on the front-end experience, which is you getting a nice ride from point A to point B. By leveraging the cloud providers, they essentially rent the solutions instead of buying and maintaining them. As a result, they avoid having to spend tons and tons of cash. On the order of tens of millions of dollars for all the servers and basic software, even before to me, I started this to is the magic of the cloud. Cloud computing enables innovation. It does so by decreasing the cost and complexity of building, testing, and scaling new businesses. And, you know, a home rental thing like an Airbnb, similarly, is a really big business that would have been impossible to fund if I had to buy all those computers and all that software initially. Exactly. Without the cloud, it would cost a ton to spin up a new startup or a new app. With the cloud, it's actually pretty affordable. And this is why the cloud has become so interwoven in our daily lives. Because all these apps, all these services, they're all built on top of cloud technology. The cloud is like the great enabler. I think people have a hard time understanding how much they're already using the cloud. You touch the cloud multiple times a day. When you use a map service, when you use search, you've been using cloud for years. This is already part of your life. And it's probably going to become more so because it has proven a successful and utile way to use technology. I think what Quentin means is that we now have access to an incredible amount of information, along with the ability to push that information out to the world with a few keystrokes. We can do that without having to build anything ourselves, all thanks to the cloud. So far, the cloud sounds super nice, providing efficiently scalable compute power, data storage, and connectivity. It all sounds kind of utopian. But it also sounds like we have a lot of our information up in the cloud. So that begs us to ask, is it safe? I mean, with all that personal and proprietary data, the cloud has become like this ginormous treasure chest. I'm Kimberly Zenz. My official title is Director of Strategic Threat Intelligence at the Deutsche Cybersicherheitsorganisation, which translates as the German Cybersecurity Organization in Berlin. Kimberly is a cyber detective. How cool is that? My personal focus of research is um, cyber criminals in the RUNET, which is the Russian-speaking Russian internet. But I work with European multinationals on a range of security issues. Quentin described the distributed power of cloud computing. Kimberly speaks to the technology itself. You might remember Kimberly from the beginning of the episode. She thinks of the cloud as a magic portal. I used to spend a lot of time in D.C., Moscow, and Dubai, so much so that I would buy three of certain items of clothing and store them in all three places so I wouldn't have to drag my suitcases all around. And I really could have used a magic portal in the back of each closet that had a special inventory storage point where I could just open up, 
take out my sweater, wear it where I was, put it back in there and have it accessible wherever I was in the next cities. I'm visualizing a magic closet. It's like this beautiful, pale, blue, glowing thing. My sneaker collection is there, just in the background, easily accessible wherever in the world I am. That would be ideal. I'll buy as soon as it's on the market. Okay, so we went from car rental agency to a closet for data and services that's available wherever you are, no matter what device you're using. How do things, you know, get on the cloud? What is the, you know, common use of the cloud? How is it maybe different than a magic portal where things just kind of float and sit? There's not one cloud. There are many service providers providing this option, and companies can have it done internally. It just means, essentially, a collection of servers where you're putting things. Those things could be data. Those things could be services. It could be both. You can share. You could have a public cloud configuration, which is where um, multiple users are on the same thing in a public situation. You could have your own private cloud. That could be either internally, a company sets it up, or it could be something to do with an external cloud services provider. All it means ultimately is that these resources are not being managed and controlled on specific devices. They are in a place where multiple users can access and use them. Are you guys with me? Listen to that last bit one more time. All it means ultimately is that these resources are not being managed and controlled on specific devices. They are in a place where multiple users can access and use them not stored on your phone, not on a specific device, instead stored somewhere multiple pieces of hardware can access. Think magic closet. Is it one, you know, file that you're accessing from different points or is it duplicative? How is it sort of managed? It could be. It could be one file. It could be one file that I access in Germany and then you access in America. It could be one file that we both look at together and work on it together. It could be an entire service. It could be very complex financial operations, what it matters is it's in this spot. It's at this place that multiple people from multiple places can access it and use it without having to affect where it's stored. I know what you're thinking. What if my magic closet gets in the wrong hands? I hear you. I keep a lot of weird shit in my closet. Just kidding. But for real, what about security? My bank info, my health record, photos of me as a teenager. If I'm storing all that stuff in a cloud that's accessible by a bunch of devices then is it really safe? So cloud services providers do take security seriously. This is something they care about. I don't want to suggest they don't, but I kind of don't like this question. It makes me a little nervous because it rests on the idea of how are these companies protecting the data of their cloud customers. And ultimately, it is still the responsibilities of the organizations who own the data that's put on the cloud or own the services that are put on the cloud to make sure that everything is properly set up and configured. Your security configurations are going to change pretty significantly depending on what you've got there. If you have a chat service for your online sweater store, you're going to have very different security requirements than if you have the deeply personal medical information or critical business information. Okay, so you have to secure the cloud somehow by putting a lock on the virtual treasure chest. Cloud service providers do take measures like encrypting data, but I hear hackers can be pretty sophisticated. Oh, right, my bad. What is hacking? Hacking itself can mean a lot of things. Most, the strictest definition I would say is compromising a system without the permission of the operators or the owners. Usually using technical knowledge, although social engineering is a way to hack people just to kind of trick them into doing things the way you want them to. In other words, 
Hacking is breaking into a computer system without permission. Kimberly also mentioned social engineering. One of the most familiar types of social engineering online is called phishing, spelled with a P-H. So if I wanted to do that, I wouldn't try to hack Google directly. I would try to find a Google customer and send them a phishing email and convince them to click on the link or open the file. And now I'd be taking advantage of an exploit on their operating system or one of the, file, one of the programs they have on their computer. And then just once I had the network access, I would take it from there. Have you ever received an email from a member of a royal family overseas asking you to accept his money transfer? All you have to do to collect a pile of money is send them all of your bank account information. Well, I hate to burst your bubble, but that is a phishing scam. And while all PH phishing is bad, not all hackers are. For real. There are these people called white hat hackers. White hats are ethical people hired to break into systems to test for weaknesses to ultimately help a company or a government shore them up before they're compromised. The people doing the compromising are black hat hackers. They're the bad guys. A black hat hacker is someone who is doing things that are considered to be wrong, typically illegal. So the simplest thing would be a financially motivated criminal stealing to make money. Um, it's also often sometimes considered to be nation state actors, but not your nation state. So if one country hacks your com- your country, then they're black hat. But from their side, they're white hat. They're completely legal. White hat being someone working with legal permission who is doing the right thing. Define right as you like. So that could be someone working for the government hacking targets for them. It could be a pen tester, a penetration tester who is paid to hack systems by companies to know where they're vulnerable so they can fix it. I love that Kimberly dug in there. Hacking and ethics can be a matter of perspective. The color of your hacker hat, whether white, black, or even gray, it's really just in the eye of the beholder. On the other hand, sometimes hats are pretty objectively black. In the summer of 2019, the FBI arrested Paige Thompson and accused her of hacking into Capital One's online systems. Apparently, she stole account credentials of more than 100 million people. To do so, Thompson scanned accounts on a cloud service and looked for misconfigured firewall applications. Misconfiguration is set up wrong. That's it. That there is something in the way you set it up that you should have done differently for what it was. A firewall is a part of a computer network and is designed to block unauthorized access. To use an analogy, a firewall is like a one-way door to a house. It allows people to go out, but it doesn't allow any strangers to come in. But in this case, someone selected the wrong options so that you could get around it even though you shouldn't be allowed to. I mean, in the most simple, simple way... If I have a guard in front of my building, but he's only there, he's supposed to be there 24 hours, but in the scheduling, I mess up and he's only there for 23 and a half hours and someone could walk in or whether the cameras can only see four out of five exits. Again, someone could walk in. Um, It's just, it's something that could have been avoided without needing an actual exploit, which in this case would be software that can truly hack, that can get past systems that are properly set up to stop you. Huh. Earlier, we talked about how all of your applications and all of your software and all of your private information is on the cloud. If there's a risk of that stuff leaking, shouldn't we be a little bit concerned? Most 
people most of the time are going to be fine. Just the law of averages are such that when they're compromised, what has been compromised? And at some point in time, most Americans' personal data has most certainly been compromised to some degree, isn't going to get to the point where it truly damages their life. That said, individual organizations do have to take these risks really seriously because if you are the one where it affects you, it can be extremely damaging. It can cost millions and millions of dollars or even drive the company out of business if they're truly unlucky. All right, there's your download on cloud computing and security. Now, let's look into the future. What's up with the cloud in 50 years? Your smartphone is connected to the cloud. Maybe your car is connected to the cloud, and that's a very interesting phenomenon. Maybe uh, you have a home speaker that's smart and it's connected to the cloud. But increasingly, there are also millions and millions of sensors around the world monitoring traffic or looking over the management of hospitals or looking at the operation of deep water ports, ships at sea. Um, monitoring nature in preserves, looking at temperature fluctuations, and all of those things are connected to the cloud. And the big thought I'm getting at is we are building a world here collectively of computation that touches very nearly every point on the planet. What type of future does this big thought lead to? Superintelligence, whereby machine intelligence surpasses human intelligence. And that's why you've seen all these breakthroughs in AI just after cloud computing got going. The cloud was the key enabler of the AI boom. And the cloud plays an enormous role in that sort of thing. So there's a lot of positives there. We can talk about the hazards as well. But fundamentally, what I'm talking about is a deep change to the civilization, I think, on the whole, for the better. Okay, guys, so what is the cloud? Well, we learned it's not a cloud. The cloud is like a magic portal that lets you access your stuff wherever you are. The cloud is like a car rental agency. Maybe the cloud is like electricity that powers all of our products, all of our services, all of our businesses. Except unlike electricity, the cloud doesn't just provide power. It provides power and storage and connectivity and the life force of the internet. If you want to build anything nowadays, you don't plug it into the wall. You plug it into the cloud. And you can't really live without the cloud. The cloud is like the air we breathe, the air we need to survive. Even when it's floating in the sky so effortlessly and elegantly. Uh, uh-oh. Um... Maybe the cloud is like a cloud after all? Thank you to our guests, Quentin Hardy and Kimberly Zenz. Today's episode was written and hosted by me, Mahan Zanuzi, produced by Corinne Javier and Lee Schneider, executive produced by Steph Wolf. You can find more Same Same on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your ear candy. Music by Uvra. Thanks for listening. Spread love. This episode was brought to you in part by BCG Digital Ventures. BCG DV builds revolutionary new businesses with the world's most influential corporations. Learn more at bcgdv.com.
com. I put this a different way. Yeah, I mean, in the 1930s, um, there there was this poet, T.S. Eliot, and he wrote this uh, fantastic line, which I use a lot, which is, they dream of a future so perfect they won't have to be good. And that's always the problem with technology. It never, ever liberates you from the burden of being good. Right. But it seems like it will because it's so magical and powerful. A T.S. Eliot quote always makes a great soundbite for a podcast. I appreciate that. There you go, man. You know, <laughs> keeping it real. <laughs>